Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, you see that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. 
Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. In case you hadn't noticed, there's going to be a coronation in a few months' time. Arrangements are in full swing to prepare for it. I noticed a news story the other day about the restoration work that's being done to the coronation chair in Westminster Abbey, on which the king will sit when he's crowned. Not a throne, apparently, because that term is reserved for seats from which the work of governing is actually done, like the sovereign's throne in the House of Lord. The coronation chair dates back to the reign of Edward I in 1296. It was built by a craftsman called Walter of Durham, and apparently it's the first piece of furniture in the United Kingdom whose maker's name we know, and the oldest piece of furniture still used for its original purpose. That's your pub quiz facts of the week for today. The coronation chair might then look like a sign of national continuity, but in a way it also bears witness to the huge changes in the kingdoms of those who were crowned on it. The first of those was Edward II. His kingdom included England, Wales, some bits of France, and the lordship, but not kingship at that point, of the whole of Ireland. Since then, of course, the French territories have been long lost. Scotland has been added, Ireland has been divided, and a vast overseas empire has been added and taken away. And who knows what will happen in the future? Will Scotland stay or go? What is this kingdom we say we belong to? And who do we belong with in it? Nationhood, kingdoms, belongings, these are themes that run all the way through the Bible too, and they feature in both of our readings today. We all need a place to be, and a community to be part of. We often define ourselves partly by where we live. Perhaps we're British, or English, Kentish, Senokian, Seolite, if that's a word. We want to feel we belong to a place, and that it belongs to us. But that sense of belonging can be problematic. What happens to those who have no place to call their own? How long do you have to live somewhere before people treat you as if you do belong? Can the place where you are become a prison? Somewhere you feel you can't leave, literally limiting your horizons? What if you want or need to go somewhere else? That's what happened to Abraham in our Old Testament reading. God called him to go from your country and your kindred. Migrating can be tough today, but it was even harder in Abraham's time. Your tribe, your family, your land was all the security you had. Familiar territory was important, knowing where the good grazing and water was. Home mattered. It was hard to go it alone. Setting out to start afresh in a new country was a huge risk, and God's promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation of him and his wife Sarah seemed a bit far-fetched. They didn't have any children, 
and they were well past the age when they could have reasonably expected any. But Abraham and Sarah went, and they made a new home in that new land, and they discovered that God was already there, at home, and because of that, the nation that would eventually be Israel came into being. By the time of Jesus, though, that homeland had been lost and found many times over, fought over and occupied by Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks, Romans. But Abraham's descendants still thought of it as theirs, given to them by God, and they believed that one day it would be as God wanted it to be, free from oppression, a kingdom ruled in accordance with God's will, the kingdom of God, in other words. They didn't agree on how it would come about, but they believed that it would happen in human time and space, in the here and now of those who experienced it. It would be Israel made perfect, not some ethereal heaven where their souls floated to after death. It's important to hold that in our minds as we read today's Gospel story. A Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want to be seen because he's a leader of the Jews, probably a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Council of Elders. What would people say if they saw him visiting this radical new preacher? He seems to be in the dark in other ways too. He's supposed to know what he's doing, to have all the answers, but he's confused about Jesus. Jesus seems to have something about him of God, something Nicodemus can't ignore, but he's just a carpenter from Nazareth. And his vision of what God is doing giving dignity to the downtrodden, a welcome to Gentiles and sinners, seems to challenge the position of the religious authorities of the time. People like Nicodemus. We'd call it cognitive dissonance today. Nothing seems to add up anymore. It's as if life, the universe and everything has shifted somehow. Jesus' words make no sense to him, and yet he can't ignore them. Jesus isn't surprised at his confusion. No one can see the kingdom of God, he says, without being born from above. As I said earlier, seeing the kingdom of God doesn't mean getting a ticket to heaven, being lifted out of this world after death. For Nicodemus, God's kingdom is mainly about life before death about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Seeing the kingdom and entering it means noticing what God is doing here and now, where he's doing it, through whom he's doing it, and joining in. The confusing part of all that for him is that he expects to see God at work in the temple or among teachers of the law like himself not in this ordinary man from Nazareth, untrained in theology, not part of the religious establishment, whose ideas feel dangerously radical. In a sense, like Abraham, Nicodemus is being called to leave his native land, the place where things feel comfortable and familiar and known, and go to a new country, 
a new kingdom. He's being called to open himself up to something that comes from above and beyond himself and his little bubble of knowledge. To be born from above, in Jesus' words, inspired by the spirit that comes from he doesn't know where and blows wherever it chooses. Eventually, Nicodemus does get it, although he's baffled at this point. We meet him twice more in John's Gospel, once when his fellow leaders are debating their response to the perceived threat that Jesus poses. Nicodemus argues that Jesus should be given a fair hearing. And then again we meet him after the crucifixion, helping to bury Jesus' body, providing spices and oils for anointing him, finally coming out as a supporter of Jesus. It probably feels like too little, too late to him, but as we know, this isn't the end of the story. And presumably Nicodemus' name is preserved in the Gospels because he was known to the early Christians, part of their fellowship. His story is a message to all of us who struggle to get our heads around what God might be doing, who want to understand but can't yet, who feel like the vision of God is continually slipping in and out of focus just beyond our grasp. It's an encouragement to us to remember that what we see is not all there is to see and that God can be at work in places, people and situations we've never imagined, ones that don't look all that holy to us, ordinary places, messy places, places of failure and tension and conflict. Knowing that, we can have the courage of Abraham, Sarah and eventually Nicodemus and discover the kingdom of God afresh and celebrate it and join in with its work wherever we find it. Amen. And so we pray together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ give you grace to grow in holiness, to deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow him. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.